Our guest today is the freewheeling comedy storyteller, Jim Brewer, who made the list of Comedy Central's 100 Greatest Stand-Ups of All Time. He's hotter than ever and whose audiences continue to beg for more. Now, once you see him live, you're hooked because Jim Brewer estimates that 80% of his fans have seen him five, six, seven times. But did you know that Jim is pleased to say that he's been F-word free for 10 years and counting? But Jim came to national attention during his seasons of Saturday Night Live from 1995 to 98, a rebuilding era whose cast featured Will Ferrell, David Spade, and even Norm MacDonald. But did you know you can jump into his Brewniverse? The Brew Tube, and you can even get a monthly company show on Patreon as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome the man who can always bring the funny anywhere he goes, the one and the only Jim Brewer to the show. Welcome, Jim. Goodness, who who sent you that intro? Is that, <laughs> is that a Google thing? What? That was... I would have stopped after, I, I would have just, Jim Brewer, I'll let you guys figure it out. You got DuckDuckGo, you got Google. While we're talking, look it up. Holy crow. I got to talk to my team if that's what they sent you. Uh, well, I'll tell you this, the little secret here. I, kinda, I, I wrote most of that. I just pulled out some of the highlights of your, your, uh, your ongoing career and ongoing legacy, but I am intrigued a bit here because... Why did you stop using the F word in your comedy? A um, couple reasons. One was, now this is like 2008. My kids were young and there, there were two major moments. One was I started realizing the internet started really spreading far and wide and I would see comedy clips. And, you know, my kids their their friends their parents would start hey you know you can you're a comedian you're online and then i started seeing so much stuff online i was really ashamed by it like why am i just using this word there and using that word there and then i i realized i would go on radio shows and a lot of times painting a picture is so much funnier than actually putting certain words out there and I remember there was a very pivotal moment in my life where we would have father's night out in our town and we were there and this woman came up to me and she goes, Oh, you're the, you're the guy from TV that lives in town. I went, ah, I don't do TV anymore. She went, Oh, but you're, you're the comedian. Yeah. Well, you're really, you're like really blue and like it's all drugs and stuff. I went, what? She goes, you're, you're, you're like really dirty. on stuff. I said, who told you that? Have you ever seen my stand-up? She went, no. I go, well, why, why would you? Well, everyone kind of knows that. And it was the first time in my life where, as much as I was mad at her for having no experience, I, I went, well, who else feels that way? And who else thinks that way? And why do they think that way? And so that was the first time in my life where I, where I went, I'm going to open the door to a more the, the more real side to me, which was a son, a husband, a father, a, uh, a godly man, a moral man. And this is way more uh, of who I am, who I'd rather you get to know than the guy that's just trying to be funny. So that, I think around 2008 is when that really, really started for those two major reasons. 
You know, back in the day when Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor did stand-up, even Andrew Dice Clay, I mean, they used the F word for shock value, but it seems like the shock value is all gone now. Well, yeah, and they were very funny. I, I, I was a fan of all three. Uh, Eddie Murphy was a huge... Uh, Richard Pryor is on my Mount Rushmore, and so is Eddie Murphy. It was, it was Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, George Carlin... Sam Kennison, that's my Mount Rushmore. Um, where if I watch, I have no, I have no problem with anyone who curses a lot and all that. Is you know, as long as it's funny, is I have no problem. I curse like a truck driver when no one's around. Um, if I'm, if I'm yelling or whatever, yeah, no. But on stage. I'd like for people to, I like when people come and they bring their kids or they bring their teenagers or they bring their aunt or they bring their mom or their grandma and they're able to say, wow, you know, you weren't dirty. You weren't, you weren't talking about filthy sex stuff. You weren't trashing uh, your wife. It was really a pleasure to watch that. And um, I don't, you know, I don't advertise it like that. I go into the Brian Regan school. Brian Regan has never cursed on stage. And he's one of the funniest comedians that ever lived. And he doesn't go around saying I'm a clean comedian. He just, he's just a comedian and you eventually discover, which is what I do. Um, and people ask me and then I tell them the story. And yeah, no, it's pretty funny because this past week, my opener dropped two F-bombs and and I messed with him. We're going to put it on my podcast in a week or two. I waited, you know, he went out and I waited for him to come back. I'm like, hey, um, you know, you dropped two F-bombs. Oh, you know, yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I did. I just thought maybe, uh, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I think, I think my crowd, they, they're okay. But uh, it really messed with him for a while. But I, I, I do great. I do take great pleasure in working hard to find the funny instead of just dropping a curse word. But like I said, I, I, I don't have any issues with anyone that curses. I think sometimes it's very funny. Well, I agree with you because you don't have to advertise it. And when the audience sees the whole routine, it should be that when they leave. Yes. Then they go, wait a minute. He yes. never said a cuss word. And then, yes. and, and then it's like, this sense of appreciation yeah. for you or the or for another comedian is it raises their value on how they see you and then they want to come back for more because now they do feel they do feel warm fuzzy and a little bit safe yes yes and that i have to say i love that feeling one of the biggest compliments i would get was man you're so funny you're so funny but it blew my mind. You, I feel like you, you did curse and I feel like you should have, but you didn't say nothing tonight. And that over the years was fun to listen to people going, I, yeah, you didn't, he didn't curse at all. Like, wow, that's, I feel like, wow. And that it's almost like a little magic trick, but, um, yeah, it's a good feeling, but good it, feeling but it solidifies your safe. Yeah, and it solidifies your fan base that much more. Yes. Yeah. 
Now, yeah. for you, I got a good fan base. Yeah. Yes, you do. <laughs> now, how has comedy changed in the last ten years? Are people getting too sensitive? Um. It, overall, uh, I think people got sensitive, but my disappointment is allowing them to bully those emotions. Um, you know, cause I can easily turn around and which I do, I'm like, what are you sensitive about? We had a war in Iraq and Iran where human beings came home with no legs, missing parts and their lives destroyed along with Iraqis. And there were no weapons of mass destruction. I'm a little offended by that. I don't see any marches about that. I don't see any flags representing that. And I don't see anyone talking about that. So how far and wide are we going to describe who's offended and what you're offended by? You better stand in line and get at the end of the line. So to me, I'm more, um, I, it's not so much people being offended. People are always offended. People are always offended. People are going to be offended by us. Um, that's their own baggage because the intention is never to offend. If I, if I'm going out of my way to intentionally offend you and even then, um, get over it. You know, some people are, uh, lose their children over, uh, an accidental malpractice where the marches, where your offensiveness, some people, um, are, are growing up with children that are special needs and we can bicker all we want about what created those special needs. But I think 90% of us know what those causes are, whether we're allowed to say it or not. To me, that's pretty damn offensive. So I'm sorry if you, if you're offended, my father had no mom and he was sent to world war two for three years and um had to watch people get murdered and he had to murder so in the name of what a couple bananas running the country that that, that control our lives and take our money um that's offensive to me so i don't have i i don't i don't fear the ones that say they're offended because when they form groups they're nothing but bully and paid protesters and when you know it for what it is and when you have a, a moral base and you you do have a deep faith you don't fear these individuals you don't fear these groups because you know most of the time they're baseless or they're out of fear or they're out of something that unfortunately they've been mentally targeted so and and it's sad, but don't take it out on me. Take it out on your, you, you need to heal yourself. If, it, if, if, I, if a comedian is saying something on stage and you're offended, well, then you got a lot of issues, my friend. A lot of issues. Yeah, I think it's okay that we should laugh, laugh at each other in the right content and, or the right context. Uh, sure. Too many people are sensitive. And like you said, there are, I'm not going to name them, but there are certain groups out there that have become very militant, very, you know, they have that bully mentality. They, they want to be accepted, but at the same time, they're causing division. But that's a whole nother story for another time. But I'm going to ask you something because the years you spent on Saturday Night Live yeah. were, they really seem to be great years for the show. 
Now, yeah. it seems that SNL and all the late night shows only use biased politics as punchlines, resulting in losing over 50% of their audience. Do we even need these shows anymore? No, not at all. I, I don't. It's very sad, um, but it's great exposure. And meaning it is, you know, you hear dark to light, dark to light, or dark light. It, uh, to me, the greatest thing was Jimmy Kimmel to say uh, the things he said about people that were unvaccinated. He showed the demon. He showed where his soul is sold and who pays him to say what he has to say. Um, Colbert with his ridiculous dancing around selling. It's like, why don't you just do a commercial? <laughs> why, 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 why don't you just do the commercial and say they paid me to do this? Um, when you see late night television, not poking fun of the obvious, the obvious, um, well, then you, you are being ruled by a ruler. Um, see, and this is the thing too, which people don't understand. You know, I'll have, I, was, I had this conversation yesterday where people like, you know, the view, the view, the view. I go, forget the view. Who allows this to air is the real demon. And why do they get to hide in the shadows? They're the ones with the wand in the darkness. So we can, we can be upset with what we're watching and the movies. We go after the actors which, and, and, and the program, but who gives the green light to cast that spell upon the millions of people? Those are the demons that need to be put in check and need to be confronted and go, so when, when Whoopi says hatred words and you allow this, why do you, why, what, what, what is your intention when you air these things of hate and judgment and, and vile words? That they, they, those are the ones that need to come to the light. Um, and need to be have a candle cast upon them. That that that's what I'd like to see happen more and more. When when you see Bud Light, you know, hey, we're pushing this. I want to see the who made that decision. And who was on the board when that was made? Who's on the board when they when when a, a certain bill is passed that we're all outraged? Why are those people not on the front line and center of the news every day of who made that vote and who those are the ones that are hiding in the shadows that really um, it's, it's almost like an organized crime where they'll send out they'll send out the henchmen to do the thing and everyone goes after the henchmen. You need to go after the drug lords and the lords in the shadows. They're the ones that be need held responsible. Well, yeah, because it's the people behind, or I should say, let's just say it's the people backstage and 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 higher ups. They're the ones. It's the tail wagging the dog. They just hired multi million dollar spokespeople to pretend to put on a talk show and to spew the things that they're told to say. But those people who are saying it have the choice not to. But they like the paycheck too much. And the paychecks, hey, listen, 
we we grew up they say one nation under god um which is another casting spell what god are you referring to that's a big question define your god is it the one of ego the one of power the one of money the one of self-righteousness the one of bribery the the one of seduction the one of pornography because that's all I see that's glamorized on television, film, news. Is it the God of violence? Because I never see the peace-loving God when they say, one nation under God and in God we trust. I'd like that God to find because I, I think we've reached a point in our lives, and not just our country, the world, where we have to understand who's pulling the strings and how long they've been pulling the strings and how long that we've been blurred in our vision and our spirit and our mind. And it's really time to, um, to put that on the table to start really discussing heavily. Well, for you, let me ask you this, because we're now living in a world of cancel culture. Have you had to put up with cancel culture because of your own stand-up? No, not at all. Not at all. The, the only thing, first of all, I don't take any money from any corporations. Your corporations are the demons. Your corporations are the um, governments. They don't use military weapons. Well, some of them do. They use mental psychological weapons and force uh, ideologies that are unhealthy and borderline demonic at times. So I don't have, they can cancel me because it, it I, sh, I sh, they'll try, but what are you canceling? I, I don't have a corporation backing me up. I never, you know, when I said I'm not playing um, venues anymore that push the Vax card, they all went, oh my God, it was like I, it was like I, beheaded children somewhere they're oh, this monster but what i enjoy out of that is then i see who the monsters are i see the cnbc um bananas and your your cnn's and all the big people and all the quote celebrities that come out and you see where they stand and i said hey man i'll play backyards I don't need your money. Well, you I, did. I grew, up, I grew up with no money. <laughs> so yeah, so you know what that feels like. But I, I saw, know what it feels as, like. yeah, I saw a stand-up you did. I think it has to been at least a couple of years ago, and you had a stand-up bit where you went six foot safe, five foot danger, five foot danger, which was so hilarious because it really showcased the stupidity of COVID rules. How did your audiences react to your comedy about the pandemic? They howled with release and laughter. And the why I named that comedy special, um, somebody had to say it, because after every single show, people would come up and go, oh, I thought I was crazy. I, I felt everything you were saying, but I, thank God somebody, somebody had to say it. I would hear that night after night after. Somebody had to say it. Um, that special was filmed 
in the middle of just coming out of the pandemic and it got dropped, but it was supposed to air and, you know, God's timing is amazing. Um, and it got, just as it was about to release, they dropped me because it was the whole, I said, I'm not doing vaccines and the company calls to listen, we can't air this. Well, what? Well, you know, we're going to lose billions of dollars because we're tied to this company and this company. And if we air this and uh, we uh, said, uh, okay. So I created Patreon, started doing podcasts, and then I released it on YouTube over a year later. And it was still extremely relevant. And no, we're not crazy. We know what we saw. We saw the mayor of New York eating French fries. You mean if I just stick that, then I get to eat McDonald's French fries? The, the, the insulting of humanity's intelligence is mind boggling. But what was more mind boggling was how many people fell for it. And I don't blame those people. I don't get mad at them. I didn't like when they made their threats. I didn't like when they lied to your face. Hence our president or whatever he is. I don't know, guy with the mask. I don't know what he is. <laughs> no. If you get vaccinated, then you won't get COVID. Well, right there is perhaps the worst misinformation, foul, disturbing lie to millions upon millions of people. How many people listened to that and took it as a battle cry and now realize it was a tragic mistake? Um, and who's being held accountable? So when it comes to canceling, we gotta understand this. We're in this on our own. There's no cavalry coming. There's no, we can wait for Trump and we can wait for whoever um, I think a lot of us has seen enough that if you don't have faith, spirit, God, well embedded in you, um, they just continually bring us false idols to save your life. And, um, you gotta be very careful with that. Very, very, very careful with that because whatever they're showing you with the big hand here, they're hiding a lot right back here. And it's happened on a continued basis. So I'm not, that was a long answer, but uh, I think it started with cancel culture. But yeah, I don't. Well, you know, when, when I saw the, the six foot safe, five foot danger, I'm like, finally. And like you said, finally, somebody had the guts to come out and say it. Yes. You know, Two years of ignorance and a bunch of idiots, you know, telling people what to do. I was blessed that we live in an extremely conservative county. And so basically everybody just thumbed the nose at all the rules because they were like, yeah, whatever. You know, let the rest Same. of the world play mat, um, makeup and mask up. And uh, we didn't do that. So... Uh, but you told the truth in a way that nobody could deny what was really going on. And we know the public today is a lot, I want to say they're a lot smarter 
but we'll see yes. what happens on the on the second go around if it ever happens. Well, it, it they are smarter, and again, I don't blame them because that was a very well planned and executed fear uh, psychological war, and it was worldwide. It was very well planned for a very long time very well executed. I mean, if you don't believe in conspiracies, that's fine. But you can't deny in 2008 on Jesse Ventura's show, you had a woman on the show saying they're planning on releasing and, and everyone's going to have to get mandatory vaccinated. And, and this was 2008. And they're going to shut down the world and blah, blah, blah. So you can, you can throw out conspiracy all you want. That was why would something be like that put out there? So the point of that is all these things are very well planned. They know how they're going to market it. They get all the armies lined up and then execute that power. And the key to it is when you find the funny, the, the ridiculousness, and you put it in front of someone, I can only pray to God that then they go, wow, I never really looked at it like that. You know, I, I would even say when they were saying, um, we will determine who is essential. Those are powerful words. You're playing God. We will determine who is essential for your safety. Now, if you just change the accent, we will determine who is uns essential now you freaked out or if i change it to oh, oh we we communist nation we will tell you we will tell you who is essential now all of a sudden you're freaked out but when your own government with the nice suit and tie and they bring out the lab rat who looks important says oh you need to snitch on one another and we will determine what businesses stay open you're okay and compliant with it because you trust the snake oil snap you they know you trust them and that's why they take advantage that's what the demon does he's the great deceiver that's it that's it well i'm gonna i'm gonna let's bring a little bit of christmas cheer into this because you, <laughs> you yeah because you play one of the newscasters in the new christmas feel-good comedy movie jingle smell starring it's so john good. schneider and Ben Davies and Eric Roberts, as well as Victoria Jackson and so many others. Yep. Did you and Victoria Jackson trade some Saturday Night Live stories? We did. You know, anyone that's been on that show, we all have something in common. And it's really mind-boggling to meet guys like Dan Aykroyd, um, Dana Carvey, talk to Victoria. Uh, and no matter how successful you were on the show, we all share the same insecurities, the same war stories, the same, and it's so humbling to know, wow, you felt that way? You, but you were, you were, you were Dan Aykroyd. You were, you were, you're Dan Carvey. How can you, you're, oh my God, what? Um, it was, I love seeing cast members of SNL, no matter what year they were on, I have so much respect for all cast members because I know what they go through psychologically, mentally, and all that. 
and trying to get their funny out there. But I'll tell you this, the movie, the Jingle Smells movie, it's a good hearted film. It's a good, it's a very good hearted message in a film. Um, I do highly recommend it. I don't, I don't recommend even stuff that I've been in the past. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to watch that. This is really good. This is, this is a good story, good hearted story. And the scene that we did, what I loved about these guys was they were super easy to work with and they allowed you to just do your thing. Just, Hey man, if you feel it, go for it. And, and we did. And me and Victoria had great scenes together. Yeah, I know because she she plays a uh, she plays a, a Karen pot. <laughs> she plays a Karen. A Karen. Exactly. She played a Karen, and she played it to a T. Now, for you and your family, what's your favorite Christmas movie of all time? Oh, uh, with the kid, the Christmas story, right? Uh, Christmas story. Oh, now that one and. Nobody's gonna know this, so you're gonna have to go. You're gonna have to duck, duck, go it. Babes in Toyland is one name for it, and the other one is uh, March of the Wooden Soldiers, and it's Laurel and Hardy, and it's my all-time favorite. I watch it every single Thanksgiving for the last forty-something years. Probably, I, I take that back. For the last fifty years. I watch every Thanksgiving March of the Wooden Soldiers with Lauren Hardy. I, that's my all-time Christmas go-to. Oh, man, I love it. And, and I'm just going to uh, go out on a limb here and say Die Hard is a Christmas movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not hey, going to debate you on that one. Well, <laughs> there you go. Jim, hey, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the program today. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Check out Jingle Smells. Great holiday movie to, to sit down with everyone. And it's a feel-good movie. I liked it. it. It's very well done. So I hope everyone enjoys it. It is. And ladies and gentlemen, you need to head over to jimbrewer.com, jump into his Bruniverse, The Brew Tube, and you can get a monthly comedy show at Patreon as well. Check out all of his tour dates as he'll be coming to your city near you. So make sure you get a ticket, take your family, and laugh until you turn blue. So ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you for watching and listening. And as for me, I'll see you next time.